We, uh, we're, we're looking at Abraham, Abram, the father of the faithful. And, uh, and, and what we see this week is, is some, uh, some humanity showing up in, in Abraham. He's, he's, he's had this, these great, uh, well, he's had some ups and downs. You know, he went to Egypt and told his wife to say that she was his sister. And that was kind of a white lie. And, uh, and, but it, and it didn't turn out well. But then his, his nephew got in trouble and he got his army together and went and rescued his nephew. That turned out well. He had an opportunity to say that, that, that he wouldn't take anything of the spoils because he didn't want to, to say that anybody had made him wealthy other than God. That worked out well. He met with Melchizedek and, and who was like a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. That went well. But now, and God has given him promises. God has said that he's going to have um, enough uh, heirs, enough children to, to fill up this promised land that he's given him. But seems like a long time since God said that. And so, as, as, as Isaiah 50 says, Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Now, y'all, y'all hear that? You can look that up in, in your copy of the scripture. And what it says is even those who fear the Lord, even those who obey his voice, can have times of walking in darkness. All right? And so we're going to look at Abram as he walks in some times of darkness. But, but the, the psalmist goes on to say, let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay up on his God or trust in his God. Hudson Taylor when he was in the uh, China mainland missions, the, during the, the revolts over there, he said, he told a friend, I cannot read, I cannot think, I cannot even pray, but I can trust. And so what we're going to see in Abram is that he is one who puts his trust in God, and we'll see how that plays out. So you may, from time to time, you may now be experiencing some, some darkness, but put your trust in the Lord. Even though, you, even though you're, you're, you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior, you're going through some tough times, that doesn't mean you have lost your salvation. That just means you have to focus more. And God, and, and what, another thing we're going to see is we're going to talk about Ishmael. And that's kind of a detour. Again, Abram acts so human here. All right? So we'll see how that applies to us. We're starting in, in verse 1. I, I, had, uh, I had the reading begin uh, not at the beginning because I, I didn't want to, want to keep the reader here forever. And so we kind of picked out some, the, the high points. But I want us to start at, at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. The word of the Lord came to Abram. Okay, the Lord knows where he is. The Lord knows what's going on in the life and the mind and the heart of, of Abram. And so he appears to him. He speaks to him. This is the first time this phrase is used in, in Scripture. That the word of the Lord comes to. Okay? Even though that it's used a hundred times altogether, this is the first one that, where it says the word of the Lord came to someone. And so we're, we're on to something here, right? The word of the Lord, how does it come? It, it still comes to us. Whether we, whether we you know, we don't get to, to have our, our story told in the scripture, but we have a story to tell. 
And the Word of God still comes to us. And the Word of God throughout the Scripture comes to people in various ways. Sometimes it's a, a visible appearance. You remember the, the Apostle John, the last book of the Bible. Um, he's, uh, he's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he sees the Lord. As a matter of fact, it talks about from time to time seeing him high and lifted up. So he's seeing uh, Jesus, right? And, and other times you, you hear, we read of someone hearing a voice like Samuel, remember, when, when he was woke, awakened from his sleep, and the Lord is calling him by name, Samuel. He runs to Eli, says, what? Eli says, I didn't call you, go back. And several times he finally says, just say, speak, Lord. So he hears just a voice, but it's an audible voice. And Daniel had visions and dreams. There are others who have, Daniel, have, have visions and dreams in the Scripture. Sometimes that's the way the Word of the Lord comes. Through an angel. Even God even uses an angel sometimes to p- speak to people who are not seeking him. You remember Balaam who had the donkey who was going to, to curse Israel at the request of a, of, of a pagan king. And God sends an angel to, to, uh, that the donkey sees. But it's to keep Balaam from, from going and, and doing the wrong thing. So sometimes angels appear. And then sometimes the Lord just works through his Holy Spirit. In, in our time, even in the Old Testament, those who had, who had the Spirit of the Lord for, for a period, like David, sometimes God just works through his Spirit to speak to our hearts and our minds. So the Word of the Lord comes to us. Now, whenever the Word of the Lord comes to us that way, we can test it by the Scripture because He's never going to say anything that, that is in conflict with His character. And the Scripture reveals the character of God. So sometimes He just speaks to our hearts and, and maybe He draws us to the Scripture. Certainly He can always speak to us through the Scripture. It is the Word of the Lord. Sometimes He speaks through other people. Sometimes even through a preacher, can you imagine? And the Lord it says gives gives a message, but any whether he speaks through a preacher or an angel or whatever, we can always test it by the word of God. Okay? So the word of God, the written word of God. So the word of God came to Abram. God had something to say to him, and this is what God says to him first of all, fear not. See that second part of verse 1? Fear not, Abram. Again, this is the first appearance of that phrase. Fear not. He didn't say that to Adam when he talked to Adam face to face. He didn't say that when he, to Noah when he called Noah to, to build the ark and talked about how, how the world was such a mess. He didn't tell Noah to fear not. But he did say that to Abram. He says that to us too. Because the one who lives in us has overcome the world, Jesus Christ. And so, here he says to Abram, do not, do not fear, fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. I, I like the, the King James translation of that, I am your shield and your reward. I think that's the best translation. It, you can't say your reward is going to be very great, but the, but the scripture overall tells us that our reward is the Lord. I'm your shield. I'm the one who protects you so you don't have to, to fear reprisals from those kings that you and your army whooped up on. Abram might have had a little apprehension about that because his small army had victory over some powerful kings, but it didn't exterminate them. But God says to him, there's no need for you to 
to fear because I am your shield. I am the one who protects you. Now, you can have whatever opinion you want to about about having artillery or, you know, uh, having uh, security systems. Those things are, are up to you. But ultimately, our shield is the Lord. So if you're, that's where we put our hope and that's where we put our trust. And so he says, don't, don't worry. I am your shield. I am the one who looks after you. That don't worry phrase, it, 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 he also used it to, he also spoke, to, uh, spoke that to Isaac and to Jacob and the people of Israel. And if you want to just sometimes something to meditate on, uh, there are several fear nots in the book of Isaiah. I've got some scripture listed there for chapter 41 and chapter 43 and chapter 44. Sometime when you're maybe feeling down or sometime when you just want something to praise the Lord for, you can go to those verses and say, thank you for being my shield. Thank you that I do not have to fear. I'm your shield and I'm your exceeding great Reward. So God didn't promise a reward. God a reward to Abram. He promised to be His reward. And you don't need to worry about another battle because I've got you covered, front and rear. Right? And he may have been saying, you know, you turned down the booty from from Sodom. That may not be two words to go together. You turned down the the what you what you could have had from the city of Sodom and and, and returning them. But I am your reward. You haven't lost anything. We need to keep that in mind. When the stock market goes up and stock market goes down, when prices go up, when your retirement changes, when your circumstances change, God is always our reward. He's always our shield. He's always looking after us. He knows you. He knows what you need. If you're his, he's going to look after you. In the New Testament, we have verses like Matthew six thirty three: Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's really what he's saying to Abram here. See, he hasn't changed. There's not The Old Testament isn't different from the New Testament. It's the same God. He's always got the same message. He's always pointing to Jesus. In Philippians 4.19, it says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. He's saying that to Abram here. I, ha- I have everything you need. I'll supply all your needs according to my riches, not what you've seen by or, or won in battle, but just... By your trust in me. So, that's how it begins. The Lord appears. The Lord speaks. But Abram says, but I've got some problems. And, and he expresses some, dis, some doubts here. But now, there is what, what we see in Abram is not a doubt that, that's ex, that expresses something like, I, God, you're not God. Or... You know, I'm, I'm, this is my imagination speaking and not, not the true God. Or, God, you're not a good God. It's not that kind of doubt. But when he speaks these doubts, it's a doubt that desires to hear from God. Okay? So he says, but Abram said, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram says, 
Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. He's looking to God for strength to believe. It's always fair to tell God what's in your heart. But we want to guard our attitude and we want to make sure that we're, that we're putting our trust in God. And when we say to God, help me, oh, that's what we say, help me. We're not, we're never at the point of saying, God, you're not real. I'd say Abram is, is certainly not saying that because he's saying, God, speak up, show me something. I don't have a child. Show me something that, that speaks to me that this truth, this promise, that reinforces this promise that you have given me. So he's saying, I believe, help my unbelief. Like the father of the son that Jesus healed. If you believe, all things are possible. He's saying, I, I do believe, but, but help my unbelief. Help me here. And it, it's a, it, it's a, a cry for the grace of God to be displayed. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God. So he's, he's saying, show me, show me, remind me of this grace that, and this gift that you are and that you're going to give to me. And so God says, this is how, how you will know. Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he says, this man, Eliezer, your slave, will not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. The son from your body. Your own body. Not, it's, it's not just some spiritual thing. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. But he's not just spirit. He's the one who created everything. He's, he is as real. He is as solid as, as anything. And he gives us demonstrations. And he gives us gifts that are not just spiritual. Now, we always have the, have the spiritual things that are on the inside, but he blesses us on the outside, too. And he says to Abram, I'm going to bless you with something physical, something you can see, something you can touch, something from your own body, a son from your own body. It's not just going to be spiritually, all these people are going to be your sons, like they, they, they're going to have the same attitude that you have. That's, no, he's saying you're going to have your blood running through the veins of the people who fill this land. I'm giving you a real physical blessing from your own body, flesh and blood. And it is going to be a blessing that is impossible to number. Look at the stars. If you can count the stars, you'll be able to count your descendants. He's already said, look at the sand. If you can't count it, you're not going to be able to count your descendants. He said, but these are real flesh and blood descendants. And in the context of talking about the stars, looking at the stars, remember that one of the descendants of Abram is the bright and morning star, Revelation 22. Jesus comes from the lineage of Abram. So, look at what happened next. Next, verse 6. And he believed, he believed. I, I, that speaks to me of a relationship because he's not just hearing words. He's not just getting some some notion in his in his mind. He believes the one that has speak, that is speaking to him. He believes the one that has spoken to him. And it says that he believed at the Lord, and he the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. 
Now that's quoted over and over in the, in the New Testament, Romans and in Galatians and in James. Abram believed, Abraham believed, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. Now, the word believed means not, that's, that's not a casual thing. The, the word picture is that Abram leaned his whole weight upon what God has said. Abram said, Amen, but it wasn't just Amen, now it's over. But it was, I'm putting all my hope in you. You know, that's what it means to come to Jesus. To believe in Jesus means you're putting all your weight on Jesus. If he doesn't come through, if he's not Savior, there is no Savior. We're, we're, we're cursed. We're doomed forever. Pascal's proposition is, if, if, if you do not believe that there's a God, and you live your life that way, when you die and you find out that there is a God, you've lost everything. But he says, if I, if there is no God, and, and I believe that there is, when I die, I've had a good life, and I haven't lost anything. Well, that's not according to the New Testament. Paul says, if, if there is no God, if, if Jesus isn't real, then we of all people are most miserable. Because that's the way we live. We put all our hopes in Jesus Christ. And that's what Abram has done here. He's, he's putting all his weight upon what God has said. He believes. And because he had that kind of belief in this person, God, not a man, God, but this person, God counted it to him as righteousness. Now, so here, here's, a, here's a, a term. Accounted righteousness, or we could say the New Testament term, imputed righteousness, as opposed to accomplished righteousness. God did not say, Abram, you are such a good guy, you have done so well that I, I will bless you and keep you forever and I'll be your shield and, and I'll be your, your reward, your fortune. But what he says is, I call you righteousness. I give you righteousness. I give you my righteousness. Could Abraham accomplish righteousness? It's too late. He's already lied. We know that. He's already hesitated when God said, leave your land and, and go to the place I, I, that I'm going to show you. He, he followed his father instead of the Lord for a while and, and paused in Haran. Of course, God doesn't stop being God. God's always him. But, but it's too late for him to have this perfection that God demands. Instead, God says, I give you my perfection, the accounting. It's accounted as yours. So he believed. He leaned everything on the Lord. And the Lord imputed to him his righteousness. Actually, we could say the righteousness of Jesus Christ because that's the only way that anyone is saved. And so what Abram has done is here is he has taken God at his word and God back in Genesis 3 says that he's going to take care of sin. He's going to bruise the serpent's head. The seed of the woman is going to come. That's Jesus. And and. Abram has taken God at his word and God has counted to him the same righteousness that he counts to us that was accomplished through the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? You with me? Don't doze off. Because that kind of righteousness is the only kind of righteousness that is sufficient. God's righteousness. Because the standard is, be ye holy as I am holy. That's the words of God.
So we have to have his righteousness. And he gives it to us when we put all our weight on him, trust him. So, now, Abram says, well, I, you know, I'd really like something visible here. I, I am a man. I am flesh and blood. I, my feet are of clay. And so, show me something. And so God says, this is what I want you to do. He says in verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And he said, Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Now, look what it doesn't say. The next verse says, verse 10, And he brought him all these things and cut them in half and laid them each half over, uh, laid each half over against the other, but he didn't cut the birds in half. Why did he do that? God didn't tell him to do that. But we know as we read on down that, that that's what God wanted, wanted done because God's going to walk between these, these, these pieces of sacrifice. But Abram did this. I, I, now I don't know this for sure, but this is what I, what I submit to you. Is that what God is calling Abram to do is standard contract. Let's, let's set up a standard contract. Abram had done this before with other people. When, when they said, we'll, we'll have a treaty among your people and, and my people and we'll seal it with a covenant, or they, the, the term is to cut a covenant. That's, that's the real thing when, when they talk about making a covenant. is literally translated cut a covenant. And so Abram knew what to do. God said, these are the things that I want you to lay out. And Abram got those things and he laid them out the way that you would do if you were sealing a contract. Now here's what, what weird thing takes place here. Is that when Abram has, has these things laid out and God's late for the signing. He thinks. And so the, 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 the buzzards begin to come around and Abram shoes them away until the sun goes down. And then when the sun goes down, verse 12, Abram fell into a deep sleep. Actually, it says a deep sleep fell on him. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram in his sleep, in, in a dream or a vision, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in this land, and that it's not, and that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they'll be afflicted for four hundred years. So he says, here's some here's some details. And and Abram, you know, maybe maybe he's kind of letting Abram in on this because remember this all started with the discussion of I need some children. God said, well, the problem is your children are going to have some hard times. Abram might have woke waked up and said, woken up. He might have come awake and said. I don't think I want any kids because I don't want to put them through that. Have you ever heard anybody say, I'm not going to have any kids because this world is just too mean, too evil? Oh, you big weenie. Not only are you a weenie, you're weenie for your kids. All right, but Abram doesn't say that. God, But God is being honest with him, letting him know what's going to come on so that so it'll be shared down the, down the line. And I'll bring judgment on the nation that, that subjects him to this slavery for 400 years. And afterwards, they'll come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet com- complete. God says, i got some punishing to do. we got to give them a chance to go as bad as they're going to go. And when the sun had gone down, it was dark. And behold, a smoking fire pot 
and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now here's the strange thing about this covenant deal, about this contract. Abram doesn't sign it. Normally, these things, these, these sacrifices would be cut and laid out, and then the, the, the partners, the new partners, walk between these pieces together. But what's Abram doing? Abram is snoozing. And God walks between them. You know why? Because Abram is not reliable. God is. So God says, here's the covenant. But it is dependent upon me. God is the one who was the, who was the, the, the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch. Those same images that we have when Israel is coming out of Egypt and going across the wilderness to the promised land. They were led by night by a pillar of fire, a torch of fire. They were led by day by a column of smoke or a pillar of smoke like a, a, a smoking fire pot. That's God. These are pictures of him. And so what we have here is we know that God walked among these parts, these pieces. He signs the contract for both sides. And he says, you can know that your offspring is going to have this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates. Now, here's, here's something. We are so blessed to know that this has come to pass. Because there have been times... When preachers have preached on this and preached on this, and then one day they say, maybe I've been preaching this all wrong. It doesn't look like Israel's ever going to have their home again. And then 1948 came. In God's time. And there are leaders of the world that say, well, we've got, to, we've got to be nice to these guys because they lived here before Israel did. Well, it was promised to Israel, y'all. It's theirs. It's the word of God. It's a promise to Abram. So you can put that in your pipe and smoke it. And the reason that God assures Abram of this is because he's saying, now you've already promised this, this land to me, but when I look at it, I'm seeing Kenites and Kenizzites and Cadmonites and Hittites and Perizzites and Rephaim and Amorites and Canaanites and Gergesites and Jebusites and all other kind of ites. And God says, but I have given you this promise and I have signed the contract. So Abram is satisfied. Time passes. And we come to chapter 16. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had a female Egyptian servant. Where did the female Egyptian servant come from? Egypt. Wouldn't it have been good if Abram hadn't gone to Egypt when he thought everything was out of control? But he went to Egypt, and probably some of the, the fortune that he left with when Pharaoh said, you tricked us, but you got to go, and we'll pay you to go. Take Sarah, your beautiful wife, with you, and here's all these goodies. And, and Hagar was probably one of those goodies. Had this Egyptian servant. And Sarah said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go to end to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. It may be. Well, in effect, she says, well, like the good book says, God helps those who help themselves. 
Only problem is the good book don't say that. Not this good book. God never says that. God says he's in control. And so Sarah makes this, comes up with this idea, and she makes this suggestion, and Abram submits to it. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Now, I looked up that word to, to work on that because, you know, a lot of times we get thinking, well, oh, Abram's, he's, he's getting on nearly 100 years old. Well, he's nearly 85 at this point. And, uh, and, and his wife says, well, I'm not going to be able to give you children, but I got this young slave. How would you like to go to her? And he said, I believe God is calling me to do that. Now, that's the way I've I've thought of it before. But that is not what this word means. This word means that he heard her intelligently. Okay? He heard her with understanding. He thought about this. It it, it wasn't some kind of 85-year-old hormone springing into action here. This was intelligence. Okay? He intelligently thought about this. Not an old goody-goody thing. And so... He listens to the voice of Sarah, and Sarah's voice didn't just mention Hagar, but she mentioned, it may be. Now, here's the problem. When we act upon maybe, when we have heard from God, and we're called to listen to God, and we have a relationship to God, what we should hear and act on is, thus saith the Lord, not maybe. Because we can come up with all kinds of maybes. If you've got a button that'll stop that, stop it. Okay. So what I, what I, what I say is, is this was a first-rate second, second guess because actually Sarah is saying that God has shut her in. He, he's, clo- he's counted me out. He has enclosed me at first part of, Behold, the Lord has prevented me. He has closed me from, from bearing children. It's God's doing. And, and we, she's saying, you know, God has promised that you're going to have these children. You're going to be the father, but he doesn't say who the mother's going to be. So maybe this is, this is possible. Now, here's Abram's, one of his follies, is he listened to her, he thought about that, and he said, let's go with it because maybe. Now, when we go on down, it says... Um, verse 5, now he goes into Hagar. Hagar conceives. Hagar is proud of, of having a child when Sarah can't. Verse 5, and Sarah says to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. Now that sounds like some kind of sour grapes, but that is a legitimate accusation because Abram was the head of that household. Abram was responsible for Sarah. So so let's just jump over to to Ephesians chapter 5. And if we don't get back to to Genesis, we'll end with something really good. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's talk about family relationship. Husbands and wives. Let's talk about submission. Because that's really what, what, what Sarah is doing here. She's coming up with, with a plan, but she submits it to Abram, doesn't she? In, in Ephesians chapter 5, go to verse 22. Well, start with verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You belong to Christ, you submit to one another. Now, now the word submit may need a little working here. Or submission may need a little work. 
it doesn't mean that you turn yourself over to someone else, but it means the way it expressed out of reverence for Christ means that you turn yourself over to Christ. The mission is the glory of Christ. The sub is to put yourself under. So you're putting yourself under Christ. So we go on, verse 22. Wives, submit yourself to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Sarai's done pretty good here. She didn't say, I want you to do this. She said, how about this? She's submitting herself to Abram. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Okay, that's our our purpose, is that Christ be glorified. That his, his body, his bride be glorified. In the same way, verse 28, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherishes it, even it, it just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Now, she says, here's, the, here's, the, here's a plan, and I submit it to you. And Abram thinks about it, and Abram does not take the responsibility that he should take. He does not listen to the Lord. Instead, he listens to the maybes instead of thus says the Lord. And so Sarah is, her complaint is legitimate when she says, this is not my problem, this is your problem, verse 5. May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you my servant. To your, I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. Husbands, we have a responsibility to lead our wives. We have a responsibility for our wives. That doesn't mean that we're smarter than our wives. That doesn't mean that we're stronger than our wives. We, we, the, the, that Ephesians 5 does not describe the extent of the submission. It doesn't say that, that wives should submit to Christ or to their husbands because their husbands are Christ, or God, or their Lord. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't, it doesn't describe the limit of their submission because some people read it and say, well, the wife should submit if her husband is, is doing the right thing. You know, if the wife thinks it's right and, and the husband is doing what she really wants, then that's the limit. No, it doesn't say that either. It says, submit to the Lord, and the Lord has put your husband in a place of authority and a place of responsibility over you. That's why he calls him the head, as Christ is the head of the church. And so Sarah is doing that. She is legitimate in her accusation against Abram. Now, that that was legitimate, but the war in, in, in total is not. Because look at what's going on. We're going to have... Abram and Sarah and Hagar all at war with one another. And the tactics are these. Sarah says, I will, I've, I've done wrong, I, it was a bad idea, and, and I, didn't, I didn't discuss it enough maybe, but, so I'll just blame Abram. And Abram says, well, you know, I, it sounded pretty good to me. I know she's smart and she's way pretty, and, and so I'll just give up my position of leadership. My position is the head. And then Hagar says, 
well, this has not turned out well at all. I'm going to just run away. Now, a lot of times our responses, which are ungodly, fall into those categories. We either say, I'll blame someone else, or we say, well, it's not my fault, or we say, I'll just run somewhere else. Now, the problem here that I I want us to see is this isn't an Old Testament problem. This is a a modern-day problem. And we can find this described in James chapter 4. Go back to the New Testament, Hebrews, James, and in James chapter 4 we have this description. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Isn't it that your passions are at war within you? There's the problem. It wasn't the the relationship between one another. It was a relationship within themselves. And what should have been ruling the relationship within themselves was God. You desire and do not have, and so you murder, you covet, and cannot contain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people. See? The problem is is that that people are self-centered. They're not submitted to one another, not submitted to the Lord. And so verse 7, here's the answer. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Verse 8, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Verse 10, humble yourself, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. The problem was their relationship to God. And blaming someone else and just refusing to take responsibility, running away will not cure those things. The only thing that cures it is to humble ourselves before God and come to him in repentance. And let him make us new. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We get a fresh slate. So now, Hagar has her her child. She runs away. God sends her back. She is submissive to the Lord. She goes back. When she comes back, apparently God has worked in the heart of Sarai because we don't read of any other trouble being between them. She bears the child. God has told uh, Hagar, and apparently he speaks it to Abram as well, to name him Ishmael, which means heard by God. Because when Hagar had run away, God found her and heard her. Okay? Listen. He, she, he, she says, uh, he says, you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your afflictions. And so she called the name of the place You are the God of seeing. She went back and Sarah now had this image of her instead of being a slave that she could do with anything she wanted to. She saw her as one whom God had seen and listened to. And Abram named the child what God said to name it. And Abram loved Ishmael. You can go over to chapter 21, verses 1 through 11 that talk about the love that Abram had for Ishmael. So what do we do? I said this is, this is something that's common to us. It's not an Old Testament thing. It's a modern day thing. What do we do? Well, well we go to the New Testament. We can go to the, the book of Romans. And, and I'll, I'll zip through this. When we jump from the frying pan into the fire, we keep in mind, we find ourselves in the fire like Abram, like Sarah, like Hagar. We realize that God is not out of business. God is not hindered. Romans 
14 says that what is not of faith is sin. So there are some things that may be perfectly acceptable in the world, maybe even perfectly acceptable in the church. There are things that others have done. There are things that make sense to us. But God says if it is not directed by him, if it is one of those maybes instead of thus saith the Lord, it's sin. Seek the Lord. Listen to him. Obey him. So what's not of sin, what's not of faith is sin. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not of faith. So, listen to the Lord. In Romans chapter 5, the latter part of verse 17, the Lord says this. We'll start at the beginning. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Do you know what happened with Abraham? with Abram. God had given him his grace. God had set him up to reign, but he gave up his reigning position to try one of those maybes. He turned the reins over to the devil is what it amounts to. Because he was unbelieving, because he was impatient, because he had a little pride, because he had he said, I, I really don't care. Whatever Sarah says, I'll go with. But those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through Jesus Christ. And then down to verse 20 of chapter 5. So God has every right to just say, Abram, it's all over, the deal's off, I sign the contract, and I'm canceling the contract. But here's the good news. Verse 20 of chapter 5. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased... Grace abounded all the more. God could have said, Abram, look at all that I have promised you. Look at all how I have blessed you, and you have blown it. But instead, he said, because your sin has increased, has increased my grace increases. Now, Satan says, when you misstep, you've had the gas. When you don't listen to God, he can just say, see, I told you so. But God never says, see, I told you so. Instead, he increases his grace. He always accomplishes his purpose and his purpose is always his glory and he wants you to be involved in his glory. That's our mission that we submit to. And you say, well, no, you don't know how far I've gone. Well, I know this. You didn't go anywhere that God did not allow you to go. He didn't want you to go there, maybe, but he allowed you to go. And here's the good news. What God allows, he redeems. What God allows, he redeems. He allowed the Son of God, the perfect sinless Son, to be crucified, to be convicted of nothing and crucified. But he redeemed that cross and that shed blood to pay the penalty for you and me. Made him the perfect sacrifice for you and me. In Revelations, I think, you know, Revelations is, is the end of the book. 
This is where he's summing things up. In 3.19 he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. And so that's God's part. He rebukes. He chastens. He makes us chase. That's the idea. And our part is to keep going, to be zealous, and to repent. John this morning in Sunday school read some scripture about revival. Revival is not a New Testament word. The New Testament word is repent. That's what revival is. Oh, we'd like to see a revival in the world. We'd like to see God glorified. We'd like to see the church alive. We'd like to see everything growing and our country turn around, our world turn around. The New Testament answer is repent. Turn back to God. Change your mind from making yourself or operating like you are, Lord, to operating on the Word of God led by the Spirit of God, which you have because of the blood of Jesus Christ.